0: war and peace book nine chapter four read for LibriVox.org by Julie Malichem. at two in the morning of the fourteenth of june the emperor having sent for Balashev and read him his letter to napoleon ordered him to take it and hand it personally to the french emperor when dispatching Balashev the emperor repeated to him the words that he would not make peace so long as a single armed enemy remained on russian soil and told him to transmit those words to napoleon alexander did not insert them in his letter to napoleon because with his characteristic tact he felt it would be injudicious to use them at a moment when a last attempt at reconciliation was being made but he definitely instructed Balashev to repeat them personally to Napoleon. Having set off in the small hours of the 14th, accompanied by a burglar and two Cossacks, Balashev reached the French outposts at the village of Riconti, on the Russian side of the Niemen, by dawn. There he was stopped by French cavalry sentinels. A French non-commissioned officer of hussars, in crimson uniform, and a shaggy cap, shouted to the approaching Balashev to halt. Balashev did not do so at once, but continued to advance along the road at a walking pace. The non-commissioned officer frowned, and, muttering words of abuse, advanced his horse's chest against Balashev, put his hand to his sabre, and shouted rudely at the Russian general, asking, "'Was he deaf that he did not do as he was told?' Balashev mentioned who he was, the non-commissioned officer began talking with his comrades about regimental matters without looking at the russian general after living at the seat of the highest authority and power after conversing with the emperor less than three hours before and in general being accustomed to the respect due to his rank in the service Balashov found it very strange here on russian soil to encounter this hostile and still more this disrespectful application of brute force to himself. The sun was only just appearing from behind the clouds. The air was fresh and dewy. A herd of cattle was being driven along the road from the village, and over the fields the larks rose trilling one after another, like bubbles rising in water. Balashev looked around him, awaiting the arrival of an officer from the village. The Russian Cossacks, and the bugler, and the French hussars looked silently at one another from time to time. A French colonel of hussars, who had evidently just left his bed, came riding from the village on a handsome sleek grey horse, accompanied by two hussars. The officer, the soldiers, and the horses all looked smart and well-kept. It was that first period of a campaign, and troops are still in full trim, Almost like that of peacetime manoeuvres, but with a shade of martial swagger in their clothes and a touch of the gaiety and spirit of enterprise which always accompanied the opening of a campaign, the French colonel with difficulty repressed a yawn, but was polite and evidently understood Balashev's importance. He let him pass the soldiers and behind the outposts that his wish to be presented to the emperor would most likely be satisfied immediately, as if the emperor's quarters were, he believed, not far off. They rode through the village of Riconti, past tethered French hussar horses, past sentinels and men, who saluted their colonel, and stared with curiosity at a Russian uniform, and came out at the other end of the village the colonel said that the commander of the division was a mile and a quarter away and would receive balashev and conduct him to his destination the sun had by now risen and shone gaily on the bright verdure they had hardly ridden up a hill past a tavern before they saw a group of horsemen coming towards them in front of the group on a black horse with trappings that glittered in the sun rode a tall man with plumes in his head and black hair curling down to his shoulders he wore a red mantle and stretched his long legs forward in french fashion this man rode toward belashef at a gallop his plumes flowing and his gems in gold lace glittering in the bright june sunshine belashef was only two horses length from the equestrian with the bracelets plunies necklaces and gold embroidery was galloping toward him with his theatrically solemn countenance, when Julner, the French colonel, whispered respectfully, The King of Naples. It was, in fact, Murat, now called King of Naples. Though it was quite incomprehensible why he should be King of Naples, he was called so, and was himself convinced that he was so, and therefore assumed a more solemn and important air than formerly. He was so sure that he really was the King of Naples, that when, on the eve of his departure from that city, while walking through the streets with his wife, some Italians called out to him, Viva il re! Translator's note. Long live the King. End of note. He turned to his wife with a pensive smile and said, Poor fellows, they don't know that I am leaving them to-morrow but though he firmly believed himself to be king of naples and pitied the grief felt by the subjects he was abandoning latterly after he had been ordered to return to military service and especially since his last interview with napoleon in danzig when his august brother-in-law had told him i made you king that you should reign in my way but not in yours he had cheerfully taken up his familiar business and, like a well-fed but not overfed horse that feels himself in harness and grows skittish between the shafts, he dressed up in clothes as variegated and expensive as possible, and gaily and contentedly galloped along the roads of Poland, without himself knowing why or whither. On seeing the Russian general, he threw back his head, with its long hair curling to his shoulders, in a majestically royal manner, and looked inquiringly at the French colonel, the colonel respectfully informed his majesty of Balashev's mission, whose name he could not pronounce. De Balmacive, said the king, overcoming by his assurance the difficulty that had presented itself to the colonel. Charmed to make your acquaintance, general, he added with a gesture of kingly condescension. As soon as the king began to speak, loud and fast, his royal dignity instantly forsook him, and without noticing it, he passed into his natural tone of good-natured familiarity. He laid his hand on the withers of Balashev's horse and said, Well, general, it all looks like war, as if regretting a circumstance of which he was unable to judge. Your majesty, replied Balashev, my master, the emperor, does not desire war, and as your majesty sees, said Balashev, using the words your majesty at every opportunity, with the affectation unavoidable in frequently addressing one to whom the title was still a novelty, Murat's face beamed with stupid satisfaction as he listened to Monsieur de Balmaqueve. But Royaute oblige, translator's note: royalty has its obligations. End of note, and he felt it incumbent on him, as a king and an ally, to confer on state affairs with Alexander's envoy. He dismounted, took Belashev's arm, and, moving a few steps away from his suite, which waited respectfully, began to pace up and down with him, trying to speak significantly. He referred to the fact that the Emperor Napoleon had resented the demand that he should withdraw his troops from Prussia, especially when the demand became generally known, and the dignity of France was thereby offended. Belashev replied, that there was nothing offensive in the demand, because—but Murat interrupted him. "'Then you don't consider the Emperor Alexander the aggressor?' he asked unexpectedly, with a kindly and foolish smile. Balashev told him why he considered Napoleon to be the originator of the war. "'Oh, my dear general,' Murat again interrupted him—' With all my heart, I wishes the emperors may arrange the affair between them, and that a war, begun by no wish of mine, may finish as quickly as possible,' said he, in the tone of a servant who wants to remain good friends with another, despite a quarrel between their masters. And he went on to inquire about the Grand Duke, and the state of his health, and to reminiscence of the gay and amusing times he had spent with him in Naples. Then, suddenly, as if remembering his royal dignity, Murat solemnly drew himself up, assumed the pose in which he had stood at his coronation, and, waving his right hand, said, "'I won't detain you longer, general. I wish success to your mission.' And with his embroidered red mantle, his flowing feathers, and his glittering ornaments, he rejoined his Swede, who were respectfully waiting him. Balashev rode on, supposing from Murat's words, that he would very soon be brought before Napoleon himself. But instead of that, at the next village, the sentinels of Davout's infantry corps attained him, as the pickets of the vanguard had done, and an adjutant of the corps commander, who was fetched, conducted him into the village, to Marshal Davout. End of chapter 4